We're going to be in Acts 2 today. Let me encourage you to turn to that. And we're not uh, completely jumping out of our series, but we are jumping ahead just for today as we consider the Lord's Supper. Now let me ask you this. What did you think when you came in today and saw this up front? I'm not, I don't say it out loud, I want you to think about it. If you're a visitor, you might have said, what in the world is going on up there? Maybe some of you said, oh, well, we're in for a long service today. Maybe some of you were surprised, even though we always announce it well ahead of time and it's on the church calendar and we encourage you to prepare for it and so on. You you could have been surprised, I suppose, uh, even if you're here every week. What was your response? I want you to think on that. Be honest with yourself. And then we're going to talk about the importance of it and what the the Bible really tells us, and particularly here in Acts, as we uh, look at what it meant to the early church to try to grasp the importance of it. It is important. It is more than important. It is essential to your spiritual growth. It's not something that can be left out, and you be the same. Let's read in Acts chapter 2, beginning with the 42nd verse. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, as we bow before you this day, we are grateful for your word. You preserved this portion of your word for Christians of all ages to read and to learn from. And so we ask you to teach us. But more than just teach us academically, Lord, we we want this to affect us even as we move toward this table 
before us. We look to you for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. When we look at uh, the Lord's Supper here, we want to look at the context, and always the context, and especially since I'm jumping us ahead, so it's a little bit out of context. And by the way, we're going to come back to this as well later on when it's in sequence and just look at it from a different angle. But when we talk about context, we are talking about that which comes before and that which comes after, which helps us to understand the passage itself. So let's look at particularly the context of uh, the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Now, in the original language here, as in uh, virtually every uh, translation, you have the definite article. The breaking of the bread. And the question would be, well, why is that? What's the the point there? Well, the point is, it's not just talking about eating. That the early church, like we sometimes joke about our church, you know, that we're known for our our food, you know, and people come in for inquiries weekend, we feed them all weekend, and then we don't feed them anymore. They've got to contribute after that. But we sometimes joke about that, and and that was a part of what they did because it does talk about them being in each other's homes and breaking bread together and so on. But, But here, it's talking about something more specific than that. And most commentators are going to agree that it's it's not when it says the breaking of the bread, it's talking about the Lord's table. The Lord's Supper. And look what it says. They devoted themselves to it. Now that's the same word that was used in uh, last week when we talked about the 120 being up there and praying. They devoted themselves to prayer. It was a focus. It was a priority. And that's why I asked you that question earlier is... You know, what, what was your response when you walked in and you saw it? Was it, oh, well, that's fine. That's always a nice service. But, you know, I, I can take it or leave it. Now, I doubt that you thought that in your mind, but if that's your feeling about it, then i, I got to tell you, you're missing something. You're missing the importance of this in terms of your spiritual growth. It is not a take it or leave it something that just Christians tend to do. In fact, if Jesus says, do this until I come again in remembrance of Me, and you say or your attitude is such that, well, I can take it or leave it, then you're saying one of several things. You you might be saying or implying that you know better than Jesus what helps you grow in Him. I don't think you want to say that. 
And yet if he says you need to be doing this and you say, well, I can take it or leave it, that's the implication. Or, even worse, maybe even worse, I don't know, they're, they're both not good. You're choosing disobedience over obedience. If he says do this and you say, I, I don't need to do that, What's that say about your view of who he is in your life? Or you might be kind of thinking, well, the supernatural doesn't really matter. And by that I mean this. This is not a magical table. And yet we believe that by faith, God actually grows us. Now, it's got to be by faith. It's got to be supernatural because it can't be natural because you know when the elements are passed and you take just a a little piece of bread and and a, a little sip of the fruit of the vine, that's not even enough physically to make your stomach stop growling. For some of you, it'll start it growling. So we know that it's, it's not about physical nourishment. It's about something bigger and more important. And that is a spiritual nourishment by faith. So how does God accomplish this growth in Christ when we partake? Well, again, the context is important. Look at the other things that they were devoting themselves to. They also devoted themselves to the teaching. Now, if ever there was a church that could have overemphasized experiential religion. In other words, uh, you know, there, there are some churches that, that it's all about the experience. It's all about how you feel, and it's all about the, the, the signs and wonders that we are seeing. If ever there was a church that, that could have tipped the balance that way, it would have been this one, because we will see chapter after chapter about God showing signs and wonders, and yet, what did they devote themselves to? The teaching. To the Word of God. And the sacrament of the Lord's Supper should always be accompanied by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. That's why we don't just open the church uh, someday during the week and just serve the sacrament to anybody that wants to come in. That would reinforce you know, some kind of a magical view of this. But we say, no, it is always tied to the Word. And then it says they also devoted themselves to the fellowship. Not just fellowshipping, but to the fellowship. Now, I'm, I'm convinced it's talking about the church itself, the body of Christ. Um, our confession of faith makes it clear that the Lord's Supper should always be in the context of the fellowship of the body of Christ. In fact, that's one reason why sometimes I I get asked when I'm doing a wedding, I get asked by a a bride and groom, and they say, you know, we would like for you to serve us communion up front, Um, not for everybody, but just us. And we can't do that because that would cut at the very heart of 
the meaning of this, that it's for the whole body of Christ. And it should always be for the body of Christ and not just for individuals. Now, I want to be quick to say, I always appreciate a bride and groom that want to start their marriage that way. That's a good thing. And yet, because of the meaning of the sacrament, it wouldn't be right for us to do that and it'd be some kind of a, um, a thing up front that no one else is participating in. Now, the other thing mentioned by way of context is they de- devoted themselves to the prayers. And last week, we, we talked about how they had devoted themselves to prayer, but this, uh, again, has that article to the prayers. And again, most commentators believe that that's speaking not just about prayer, but prayer in the larger and maybe more generic sense in this way to the worship that surrounds the prayers. You see, that they were uh, focusing upon worship and the Lord's Supper was in the context of the fellowship, the teaching of the Word, and actual worship by the body of Christ. Now again, I told you that this could have been a, a church that overemphasized the experiential part. This church also could have overemphasized and gotten out of balance on the teaching part, couldn't they? Because after all, that church had the greatest preachers and teachers in it ever. Ones that were taught by Jesus, that saw the resurrection. And yet all of these elements were included in there. You've got the sacrament, the teaching, the fellowship, and the prayers. By the way, I'm convinced all of these support our verse of the year. Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. There's the fellowship, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That that's what you do when you gather together. Now let me give another context, though, in terms of the importance of this sacrament, not just for us as individuals, but for our church and our community. It says this in verse 41. I didn't read this earlier, but this is right before our passage. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and then down in verse 47, right after this passage or at the end of it, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. People came to Christ. Those that were lost and on their way to hell came to Christ and rejoiced and joined in with that fellowship and then began to partake in the teaching, the prayers, the fellowship, the sacrament, the Lord's table. And then verse 43, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. When these were the things they emphasized, they saw God work among them. 
Because what, what do all those things do? They take it away. They take the, the focus away from self-sufficiency. And every one of them drive us to see our need for Christ. And then Christ responds and does signs and wonders and brings people to himself. And then, as they saw God working among them, look what else happened. There was some practical outworking of love for one another. Now, that's not a natural thing. It's supernatural. Look, look at the kinds of things that were happening. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. That one would be the fellowship and eating together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It, this, and we're going to look into this more. This is not communism as some people uh, like to use this to support. We'll look into this more when we get to it in line. But what we see here is there was a, there was a love for one another that, that showed itself. And by the way, at the end of this service, we have an opportunity as well, as we do after every communion service, for people to, to give to the Benevolence Fund, the Deacons Fund, and it goes for those in need in our congregation and outside of our congregation. And that's a right application, but that's what was happening here, and that tells me at least a couple of things. One is that even though they were getting really big in terms of the size of the church, they seemed to know each other well enough to know that there were needs among them. And they were all taking part in helping to meet those needs. But the other thing, and here's the other side of helping meet needs of others. Evidently, people were accepting to have their needs met. And the reason I mention that is this. That some of you, maybe I should say some of us, are very comfortable at trying to help other people. But very uncomfortable when other people reach out and try to help you. You know, even our, even our deacons have a, have a hard time sometimes when they, they want to help um, uh, widows and those that, that can't necessarily do everything for themselves and they'll call and they'll say, no, there's, we don't have any needs and so on. Well, we want to make sure that's not a a pride issue because in the body of Christ there doesn't need to be that pride issue. There is the beauty of serving other people and you are having a ministry when you permit others to serve you and use their gifts as well. And so that was being shown here. So here we're approaching the Lord's table. And I want to invite you who are trusting in Christ alone. Not who are trusting your own works or Christ plus your works, but trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life. You're the ones invited to this table. 
Listen to one who appreciated the supper, Robert Murray McShane, from his journal, May the 10th. Felt less use for the minister than ever. (laughs) I like that. Felt less use for the minister than ever. Let the master of the feast alone speak to my heart. You see, it says he felt at such times that it was not the addresses of the ministers in serving the table, but the supper itself that ought to, listen to this phrase, satiate our souls with fatness. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? Satiate our souls with fatness. You know, when I travel to other countries, one of the difficult things to face are the beggars that approach you. It's hard to look into those eyes and to know what is best and and so on. It's heart-wrenching. When we properly come to the Lord's table, we need to recognize that we should be coming as beggars or slaves to this table. But instead, because of what Christ has done, He invites us as adopted children to this table. So we don't need to come as a beggar or a slave if we're trusting in Christ. But we come as a beloved child to the family table. May the master of the feast alone speak to your heart today. Let's bow together. Indeed, Lord, you have given us this supper. You've given it for a purpose. Will you even in these moments prepare our hearts to partake, not in our own worthiness, but in the worthiness of Christ alone? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.